This is the Dogs on the Hill podcast with your host, Reeves Fisakerly. Good afternoon, and welcome back to the Dogs on the Hill podcast. I'm your host, Reeves Fisakerly, and today's date is Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. The NHL trade deadline is this Friday, March 3rd. At 3 o'clock Eastern Time, p.m. The entire landscape of the league, in terms of veterans, seems to be shifting. It is officially the end of an era in Chicago. The Blackhawks have traded Patrick Kane to the New York Rangers. The full details of the trade, the Rangers receive Patrick Kane and Cooper Zek. The Blackhawks receive Andy Walensky, Vilisa Yarvi, a 2023 second round pick, a 2025 third round pick, and a 2025 fourth round pick. As far as I can see, no firsts were thrown around in there, but I can understand that given that Patrick Kane is 34 years old and his contract, which he signed with Chicago back in 2015, is still carrying a cap hit of $10.5 million. This is the last year of that contract. So he will be a UFA after this season. Maybe he comes back with the Rangers. Maybe he goes somewhere else. Kane has had a rocky year so far. In 54 games played, he has 45 points, 16 goals, 29 assists, and a plus-minus of minus 23. So is this a win for the Rangers? I think yes. Even though I just mentioned those production numbers, which are not super attractive it's still Patrick Kane you're getting a three-time Stanley Cup champion one of the NHL 100 so back in 2017 made the 100 greatest players of all time list that the NHL created and I still think a very talented player Uh, he was first overall pick back in 2007 and while you only get him for one year I don't think that's a bad thing considering one he can come back you can re-sign him, and you can definitely re-sign him to a more cap-friendly deal because his cap hit would not be $10.5 million, or I seriously doubt that it would be anywhere close to that number. And you didn't really give up that much to get him. I mean, you gave up two defensemen on the younger side, but you only gave up a second, a third, and a fourth in terms of draft capital, and those are dispersed over two different years, not even consecutively. An era is officially over in Chicago if it wasn't already clear. Let's look at that roster from the 2010, 2013, 2015, that dynasty of Blackhawks. Dustin Bufflin, he's been gone. He's been with Winnipeg for a while now. Brent Seabrook is on contract with the Lightning but hasn't played much. Duncan Keith is on contract with the Oilers, also hasn't played much. Corey Crawford is retired. Patrick Kane has been traded to the Rangers. The only person who remains is the captain, Jonathan Taves. And I'm hearing that it's possible the Blackhawks move him too. Taves, like Kane, signed an eight-year contract worth $10.5 million as a cap hit in the same year, 2015. So, also like Kane, he will be a UFA next year. Taves is also 34 years old, 
the former third overall pick in the 2006 draft. Another 100 greatest players of all time, according to the NHL's list. They came out in 2017. And this year, like Kane, not super impressive thus far on the points list. 28 points, which breaks down to 14 goals, 14 assists, and a minus of 24. The Blackhawks are currently in the bottom of the Western Conference. They are tied with the Anaheim Ducks for last with 47 points, nearly 30 points out of a wildcard spot. At this trade deadline, they are most certainly selling any pieces that they have and should be gearing towards the draft. At this point, I think you want to try to win the draft lottery. So the Rangers have added Patrick Kane to their roster close to a week after acquiring Vladimir Tarasenko from the Blues, another former face of a franchise. Currently at third in the Metropolitan Division, the Rangers look pretty set. They're seven points ahead of the next person, which is the Islanders, who are seven points behind them. But they're six points behind the Devils. You're more than likely going to make the playoffs. It's just moving up the standings. It would be nice to have that home ice, especially when you're as loaded as the Rangers are right now. This team, this team is crazy. Artemi Panarin, Patrick Kane, Vladimir Tarasenko, Mika Zabinajad, Alexis Lafreniere. Players on the older side, players on the younger side. The Rangers have a good mix. They have a goal differential of plus 33. Maybe this heightened offense increases that. They're 11th in terms of total goals scored this year by a team with 201. I'm curious to see if this Rangers team really does it. They surprised me last year by going to the Eastern Conference Final with such a young core. I didn't think they would make it that far. And they don't, the team that they lost to was the former Stanley Cup champion two times in a row, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So makes sense. Young team facing an experienced team. More often than not, I would say the experienced team wins or most likely should. But looking at this Eastern Conference, what the Rangers have to go through. The scariest team is, of course, the Bruins, who are 47-8-5, which is just ridiculous. The Hurricanes, 39-11-8, Devils, Maple Leafs, Lightning. Those are the five teams that are currently above the Rangers in the standings. The team that's behind them is the Islanders, and they're seven points back. So it's a much larger gap than the Rangers have in front of them. They're only one point behind the Lightning, five points behind the Maple Leafs, six behind the Devils. Against any of these teams right now, I really think the Rangers would only have to worry about the Bruins, the Lightning, and maybe the Hurricanes. The Bruins are the best team in hockey right now easily, in my opinion. Though the Lightning have moved some pieces from their championship-winning runs, I still see them as a contender given that a lot of that core is there and has won two Stanley Cups. The Maple Leafs will choke in the first round. They will lose games, they will lose a series that they are not supposed to lose, but until they win one, I don't care what the stat sheet looks like, I'm going to say the Maple Leafs are going to lose. The Devils look like a really good team this year, but I think they're going to face the same thing the Rangers faced last year in the sense that they have a young core, they have a really young team, so maybe they do go on a run, but I do think it will end somewhere. And I think a team like the Rangers could be one that stops them. Now, 
playoffs started today, the Rangers would play the Devils in the first round. So that would essentially mean that the Devils do not go on a run because I think the Rangers would beat them. But the point is, yes, I think the Devils can play, and I think that they could contend and compete with somebody, but I would take the Rangers over them right now. This has been a hard stretch for Blackhawks fans, meaning the last few years. Most fans of the game knew that the dynasty in Chicago was tapering off. The Blackhawks have been out of the playoffs, out of contention, and now their core has been completely decimated. But even thinking back to the NHL draft last year, they traded away Alex Dabrinkit, which still, still puzzles me, because he was a young player contributing significantly to the team. And I think a lot of people would agree is a genuinely good hockey player. And he gets sent off also for not much in exchange. So the Blackhawks officially are rebuilding. If that wasn't clear already, I just think they're facing some issues in how they're rebuilding. They're trading away good assets for very little exchange. Hopefully they can do better in the draft, but only time will tell. The Blackhawks send Patrick Kane to the New York Rangers. Leonard Fournette has been cut by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This was per Fournette's request. In his words, there is no bad blood between the two parties. This decision comes as a result of him pondering retirement, actually. Fournette said, quote, Winning is everything. That's all. And in my last three years here, that's all we've done. But since my guy left, he's talking about Tom Brady, that's why I came. So my time here was up, end quote. Now the Bucks had the worst run game in the league last year or this season by far. They were last in the league in rushing yards per game, only posting 76.9. They were one of eight teams to average less than 100 rush yards per game. They were the only team to average less than 80 rushing yards per game. And the team who finished 31st, so one spot above them, the Houston Texans, averaged 9.9 yards more per game rushing than the Buccaneers did. Total yards, the Buccaneers were only rushed for 1,308 yards, 32nd in the league. 31st, the Houston Texans with 1,476. Those are the only two teams to rush for a total of less than 1,500 yards. In Fournette's statement, yes, he mentions retirement, but most notably for me, he mentions Tom Brady's departure as part of this reason for requesting to be cut. And yes, he hasn't officially been cut yet as of right now, but it's very much expected that he will be cut before March 15th. So this leans into the Buccaneers' questions at quarterback. Since Brady has retired, the Buccaneers have done essentially nothing in trying to acquire a new quarterback. They only have one quarterback on their roster as of right now, and that is Kyle Trask. Trask was drafted two years ago in the second round by the Buccaneers, and when Brady retired last year, the first time, it was expected that Trask would become the starter. And then Brady came back, and obviously Trask was not the starter. But 
what I have heard suggests that the Buccaneers are unhappy with Kyle Trask's progression. He has not been developing at the rate in which they would like him to. I remember hearing a report that it took Trask an extensive amount of time to learn Byron Leftwich's playbook, which he was still trying to learn last year. If this report is true, it's definitely concerning, given that Trask had two years to be in that system with Byron Leftwich and his playbook. And now the Buccaneers have fired Leftwich and moved on to a new offensive coordinator, Dave Canals. Trask is the only one on contract. He allegedly did not know Leftwich's playbook very well. And we do know for certain that the Buccaneers are unhappy with his development. And now he has a new offensive coordinator and, again, is the only quarterback on roster right now. So to put it lightly, there's a struggle for the Buccaneers right now at quarterback. Shifting back to running back with Leonard Fournette, now that Fournette has been cut or is expected to, he wants to be, and it seems that the Buccaneers will allow that. They are leaning towards Rashad White at running back. Personally, I think this is a great decision. Last year, Rashad White posted a lot more rushing yards than Leonard Fournette. And I've heard several positive things said by the Buccaneers organization about White. I think he is definitely their running back for the future and their running back for now. But he needs a quarterback. And so does everybody else on that roster. They still have Mike Evans. They still have Chris Godwin. Most of that supporting cast is there. But Tom Brady, retired. Leonard Fournette, pending cut. If Fournette came back for the Buccaneers next year, he would be owed $8.5 million. And that would be the final year on his three-year contract, which he signed. Do the Seattle Seahawks draft a quarterback with the fifth overall pick in the NFL draft this year? The Seahawks are currently in contract negotiations with Geno Smith, and according to general manager John Schneider, the talks are, quote, positive, unquote. The Seahawks are reportedly analyzing this draft class and taking a look at it very closely, and let's just put this out there. This is a very good-looking draft class for quarterbacks with Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Hendon Hooker, just to name a few. This is the first time that the Seahawks are going to pick in the top five since 2009, and it's not technically their pick. It's the Broncos pick, which they got in the Russell Wilson trade, and the Seahawks still have the 20th overall pick, which is their own first-round draft pick. Now, again, John Schneider also said the Seahawks' contract negotiations with Geno Smith are, quote, looking very good, unquote, and I would hope so. Smith Yes, he's a pending UFA, but last year he finished first in the league in completion percentage and sixth in the league in total QBR. And I think the best year of his career. I think many people would agree with that. But even if the Seahawks are able to re-sign Geno Smith, now even if the Seahawks do manage to re-sign Geno Smith, John Schneider has said, that they could still possibly pick a quarterback at that fifth overall spot. Quote, because they don't grow on trees. It's probably the hardest position to acquire a talent, a guy that everybody feels very confident in. End quote. So I do hear what he's saying. Quarterbacks are the field generals of the offense. Their whole role is to, is to give the ball to playmakers and let those playmakers make plays. 
Many people would argue the quarterback is the most important position on a football team. And looking at the current landscape of the NFL today, I think one could argue there's a quarterback shortage. The Falcons are looking for a quarterback. The Buccaneers are looking for a quarterback. The Raiders are looking for a quarterback. The Jets are looking for a quarterback. I could do this all day. But I wonder, with that quote, the last part of that quote is what sticks out to me. Quote, a guy that everybody feels very confident in, end quote. If you're Geno Smith, how are you responding to that? Or even before I go into that, is this just me digging too deep and trying to spark drama? That's not my intention. This is just a genuine question. How would you, as Geno Smith, you're not on contract yet, you're currently going through those talks, and according to management, you're in a good position with them. A guy that everybody feels very confident in. Is this, we're not very confident in Geno Smith, or we are, and we just want to use our draft position to try to find another one? That's personally what I think it is. But reading that quote, that does just stick out. I think different people could respond in different ways to that bit of the quote. But I'm not trying to spark anything here. That's just a genuine question. How are some people going to react to that? And now to close out today's episode, the dog of the day segment. This title is going to Antoine Davis of Detroit Mercy. The Horizon League tournament is currently going on. And in Detroit Mercy's game against Purdue Fort Wayne, they won 81 to 68. And Antoine Davis registered 38 points. He is currently only 26 points behind Pete Maravich for the NCAA career scoring record. Maravich has held the all-time points record of 3,667 points since 1970. If Antoine Davis is able to do this, which is very possible, again, he only needs to score 26 more points, and he scored 38 yesterday, he would beat a record that has been standing for 53 years. Some more advanced stats about Davis. He's averaged 28.1 points per game this season, and in his last nine games, that average is 34.4 points per game. Davis started his NCAA basketball career in 2018, and if the Titans lose against Youngstown State on Thursday, that could be his last chance at the record. I'm going to think positive here and say that that will not be his last chance, and hoping Davis is able to make history. Congratulations to the dog of the day, Antoine Davis. Good luck in your chase for the NCAA all-time scoring record. That is going to conclude today's installment of the Dogs on the Hill podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope to have you back next time.